0: So I'm on a crusade to crucify the prosperity gospel. I hate the prosperity gospel. The Bible's
1: not about you. So what is the foundation of your faith? I mean, why do you believe what you believe?
0: The word of the living God. Faith built on emotion is faith built on sand. Jesus said you build on a rock or you don't build.
1: Welcome to Skeptics Podcast number two. And our topic on this one is Mormonism versus Christianity. This is our actually our take two of this podcast. We had recorded it yesterday, and unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, we had an hour of silence. So, that might be a good thing, um, coming out of a bad thing, because yesterday, uh, maybe we, I don't know, we stumbled over our words a lot, so hopefully today will go better, and we just count yesterday as a practice, so silver lining, there you go. And anyways, so... Mormonism versus Christianity, and the reason we kind of chose this is because Mormonism is the fastest-growing, most successful cult in the history of the United States, if not the world. They have over 300,000 converts a year, and 75% are former Protestants with actually, I believe, the number one convert to Mormonism being single evangelical men. So it just goes to show how cute those uh, Mormon girls are, converting all those single guys. Uh,
0: yeah, they actually will send out Mormon girls to as a to evangelical men as a mission field, and they'll make them fall in love. And, I mean, I'm sure the girl falls in love too, but the church will say, you cannot marry until they convert. Interesting.
1: Yeah. See, I, I grew up in a town that was like 95% Mormon. So, um, yeah, pretty much... Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, so going on, why, why, why is it a successful cult? Um, why are we using that word cult, and what is, uh, what is our definition for cult? So the, the definition that we're using is, uh, as defined by Webster, it is a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Or spurious. I don't know how to pronounce it, oh, yeah, if I'm saying that word correctly. Um, it's basically an organization that opposes orthodoxy so by cult we are defining it as an organization opposing orthodox or biblical views so it is um, as walter martin puts it it is those organizations that oppose orthodox christianity yet claim to trace their origin to orthodox sources and may even be in harmony with some of those sources so it's basically a a group of people gathered gathered around a specific person or a person's misrepresentation of the bible so that, that is where we're um defining cult as so uh, Jill, do you have anything to add to that?
0: Yes, um, one of the main reasons that we are doing this podcast today, not only because it's, it's it is an interesting subject to study on, I, I encourage everyone to study on Mormonism. It's it's it is fascinating to really look into. It has an interesting, um, sad, and crazy history to it, and um, I mean they've been very successful. But the main reason for doing this podcast is because they they're lost and I, I think a lot of uh, Christians and other people just look at them as uh, just another sect of Christianity but the truth is they have a different gospel mm-hmm. so it's it's important to bring this stuff out and and bring light to it to people and because uh, they use the same terms we do yeah um, anytime you'll talk to a Mormon you'll you'll run into that like well they're using all of our language but they they mean something completely different, and it takes a while. You really got to study their stuff to learn that they're talking about something completely different so um the main reason that I wanted that we wanted to do this is because they have a different gospel, and um the Paul wrote about this in galatians one eight but even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. If you notice there, the word accursed in the Greek is uh, one of the strongest words he could have used. It, um, the word actually means under God's curse. So He used the strongest language for this um, scripture right here. So it's very serious. Yeah, and
1: sometimes heresy just comes down to semantics. Like, it's they, they say the same words, but the definition behind those words is what makes it heresy. It's completely something completely different. Uh, so, launching off into Mormonism, for um, just our listeners who don't know, uh, we're just going to be giving a brief uh, history. I don't know how it came to be, its founder, Joseph Smith, things like that. So, uh, we're going to try to give our best account of what they believe today. Because actually there is four separate accounts of just um, Joseph Smith's visions, and um, it's just changed over the years, which kind of shows how unreliable it is. But so we're just going to show and try to present the, um, the, the the version they have today. So it, uh, the LDS Church, it, it's, as most people know, it started with a man by the name of Joseph Smith. He was around 14 years old and uh, a little history behind him. His dad was a mystic, a universalist, and his mother was Presbyterian. And he was, Joseph Smith was a man known who, for his tall tales. He was known for just um, a man who, as a treasure hunter, he, he, was, he looked for treasures, and he um, had, had a vision at 14 years old, and it was two personages who appeared to him, who he claims to be the father and the son, and they appeared to him, and Joseph Smith said, hey, like, what church should I follow? And they're like, none of them. All of them are wrong. Um, it's been perverted. And you need to uh, start the church over. And so they presented to him the the new church, or Mormonism, per se. And after around three years went by, um, so 17 years old, uh, he had another vision. Uh, Moroni appeared to him. And presented to him or gave him the location of golden plates which were buried on the hill of called Mount Kimora and he dug up those plates around four years later I'm not sure how it took him four years to find those plates um, but that's just the timeline it was given when I was looking into this so around four years later he dug up these plates and on these plates was written what he claimed to be uh, a language called reformed Egyptian and so he sat behind this curtain and depending on what account you have, he used the Urim of Thumen, and he, which was like a, pair of, like a pair of glasses, depending on what version you have, which which he wore, which allowed him to translate these these tablets. And he also used seer stones, which were, it's a, an occultic practice um, that was used back in the day. And <clears throat> it was basically putting these stones in a hat, and you peek into the hat, and you can translate it. I'm not exactly sure how it works and smith was actually convicted of glass looking which what it was called back then in 1826 um for using this this method and we'll get into that later on his account and his uh arrest and things like that so anyways he he translated these tablets which um eventually um becomes the book of mormon and a man by the name of martin harris he was a wealthy farmer back in the day he uh decided for some reason um to fund smith's translation So he he took his translation to this man by the name of Charles Anton, uh, who was a professor at Columbia College, and he reported back to Smith saying, hey, like the characters you translated were something in their Egyptian, Chaldaic, Assyriac, and Arabic, and uh, your translation was correct, is basically what he reported back to Smith. And when Charles Anton, the man who he took these to, heard of Harris's false report, he actually wrote a lengthy letter correcting this issue. He said, this is a, a quote from his letter. It says, The whole story about my having pronounced the Mormonite inscription to be Reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics is perfectly false. The paper contained anything else but Egyptian hieroglyphics. So, from right from the beginning, they have a basically a false, something that is not um, the correct translation. So, um, they move forward, and in 1830 the Book of Mormon was first published, and it was actually financed by Harris. He was uh, mortgaged his farm, and the Mormon church was founded in 1830. And it grew very rapidly over the years. Uh, They started establishing strongholds in Ohio, Missouri, and unfortunately, um, the early Mormons, they did suffer hostility. They suffered persecution because the non-Mormons, they they didn't trust Smith um, at the time. They were very suspicious of his teachings. And so unfortunately, the early Mormon church were treated very horribly because of non-Mormons' opinion of Smith. It was actually a moment in time where the Missouri militia actually slaughtered and raped Mormons um, following an extermination order issued by the governor at the time. So um, that was very unfortunate. But from the years from 1830 to 1840 through that decade, Smith um, claimed to continue to receive these revelations. And around 1833, he wrote the Book of Commandments. Uh, The second edition came out in 1835, which was then renamed to the Doctrine of Covenants, uh, which we know today, they have the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. So the, the, that was placed next to the Book of Mormon as as canon. So that, that that's kind of a brief history of how the church got started, how their writings came to be. So I'm, I'm going to let g talk real quick.
0: Yeah, when it comes to Mormonism, <laughs> uh, like w- what we were saying before, is that uh, they use our language uh, and going through this history right here uh during these times after joseph smith even died his mom came out with reports against him his followers that he'd basically conned in some of them were coming against him it's just a really shady history with joseph smith but uh switching the topic into uh semantics now like with our terms and like heaven and the holy spirit and stuff like that like their trinity and our trinity aren't the same they they don't believe in trinity like we do so you know we believe in three persons one being and we believe you know we're not modalists or anything like that but they believe that we are modalist what is and,
1: what is modalism for people do know
0: so basically modalism is uh someone who believes that the holy god changed into the, the son and then now changed into the holy spirit he changes into different modes so They believe that we believe that Jesus Christ is God the Father, or the Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ and God the Father.
1: Yeah, so it's it's basically an analogy they use for modalism. Is like water. Water can be ice, it can be water, and it can be steam. That's that's how they like to use that analogy for God, for people who believe in modalism. They say, hey, God takes the form of three different um, things, just like water can take the form of three different things. So that's what modalism is. So that's their vision, or their version of God, is three separate persons. They believe that the Son was created, versus Him being the actual Creator. Uh, as us Christians, we believe, you know, that God and Jesus is is God. Um, Christianity says that He is eternal. He's the only God in the universe, the supreme Creator of everything out of nothing. He always will and always will be, you know, as it says in in Hebrews in one uh, eight this is what God says of a son. He says, "Your throne, O God is forever and ever, and the sceptre of, of righteousness is the sceptre of your kingdom, so you know god 's throne is forever, he 's always been there, but that's not the Jesus of Mormonism. Jesus is essentially the firstborn, literal
0: firstborn yes, and uh, on the Trinity, I have a quote here from Joseph Smith, He says, "Many men say there there is one God." The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are only one God. I say that is a strange God anyhow. Three and one, one and three, it is a curious organization. All crammed into one God, according to Secretarianism. It would be it would be the it would make the biggest God in all the world. He would be a wonderfully big God. He would be a giant or even a monster. This comes from teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page three seventy two. Well, Joseph, you did get something right there. He's a wonderfully big God. And to you and the people you've misled, he will be a monster on Judgment Day. Mm. He'll be the scariest thing to ever existed.
1: Yeah. So that's the, the God they've painted for themselves. And, and we're going to go into a brief history now, not the history of the Church, but a history of uh, the origins of what they believe. So where God came from, where the planets came from. So we, we've covered the Trinity. So with God... Um, They have, you know, we gave what they believe about Jesus being the firstborn, but he is the firstborn of the Father, who they call Elohim, which, you know, we refer to God as Elohim too, that's one of his names. But uh, they they say that Elohim was an exalted man. So, well, first off, they believe that there are trillions and countless planets throughout the cosmos ruled by countless gods who were once human like us. And on one of these planets, a spirit child named Elohim was born to unidentified God and and one of his unidentified wives. And then he was later born to human parents to be tested. And then through obedience, he elevated to godhood, which is in the celestial kingdom. That's the third level of heaven for them, or the first level. Um, And after his death, he now lives with his many wives near the star called Kolob, or on Kolob, depending on LDS commentators. And that's basically where Elohim lives now with many of his spirit wives. And essentially through endless celestial sex with all of his wives, he gives birth, or they give birth, to billions of spirit children. And the firstborn was Jesus, secondborn was Lucifer, and then all the rest of them were us. So, uh, essentially, we are now here on Earth to be tested, like Elohim was tested on his planet, to to be tested to see if we can obtain godhood like them. And as Brigham Young once said, Brigham Young was one of the first early fathers. He was the one who took over the church after Joseph Smith. This is what he said. He says, Gods exist, and we had better strive to prepare to be one of them. Also, another early father was James Talmadge. He says, The church proclaims this eternal truth. As man is, God once was. And as God is, man may be. So, that is very scary because the original sin in the garden was you can be like God. And this is what they are striving for is to be like God. And Jail, do you have anything to add to that?
0: Yeah. I was just going to read uh, out of Isaiah on that, um, referring to Lucifer said, you said in your heart, I will send to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of assembly on the heights of Zephon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like God. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what Mormons are striving for, is to be like God, to be a God of their own planet.
1: That sounds very attractive. Like, my flesh is like, that sounds great, to have my own planet and, like, be God. That's, I mean, I can see why it's appealing, <laughs> you know? I,
0: I mean, there, there's two aspects to that, though. I mean, if you've got to send someone to come down to get crucified just to save your people...
1: Yeah, and also that's another thing that's also scary for me. If you look on the other side of it, is their god, Elo- Elohim, he, he's not perfect. He was just a god that was good enough. You know, he just he was just a sinner like us on some other planet, who just happened to be good enough to make it to the top level of heaven where he was able to create us. And that that to me is just it's just uncomfortable, you know. And he's not eternal. He's not eternal. The only thing that's eternal for them is matter. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. And so, can, do you have something to say?
0: Yeah, and also a, a quote from Joseph Smith on, on talking about God once being a man and all this. Um, he's, he spoke this in the King Follett discourse. It was actually at a funeral and I believe it was his last message ever, ever preached. And he said, for I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have an imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea take away the veil so that you may see these ideas are incomprehensible to some, but they are simple. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for certainty, the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another and that he was once a man like us. Yes. That God himself, the father of us all dwelt on earth, the same as Jesus Christ himself, you know, and scripture, obviously tells us different, you know, and, Colossians he says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creations for by him all things were created that are on heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things exist
1: Mm -hmm. so you can see right away semantics two completely different things they can use the words God, Trinity, Elohim Jesus Christ, but they mean completely different persons, completely different things. And uh, continuing with the the origins, so, you know, Elohim had his billions of spirit children, with the firstborns being Jesus and Lucifer, and then before they created earth, they had this big heavenly council with all the Mormon gods, and they were kind of, the purpose of this council was to determine what to do with all the billions of spirit children, So Elohim, I guess, you know, he needed help on this decision. So um, Lucifer stood up and he's like, Hey, like I offered to be the savior of this planet that you're going to build. And we should also like force people to become gods. And Jesus, uh, Elohim's firstborn, was like, No, I don't think so. I think we should give people freedom of choice. So they, they cast a vote and they all voted for Jesus's plan. And for some reason, this just didn't sit well with Lucifer, so he decided to start an uprising. He uh, revolted, and he got one-third of his siblings, one-third of the spirit children, to fight back. And they lost. So, uh, essentially, Lucifer and the one-third of the siblings are the spirit children that he got to fight with him. They were cast down to Earth with the curse of never to have mortal bodies. And the The people who remain neutral in the fight, the people who who didn 't take sides now this is where it gets interesting. Um, they were cursed with the the mark of Cain. This is their explanation for um, or this is what they call the mark of Cain, and this is what would become black people or African American people on earth. So when these spirit children who remain neutral become to earth and given physical bodies they're cursed with black skin. That is his origin for black people. And they are denied priesthood because of this, um, for, for remaining neutral. And the people in the fight who were on Jesus' side and fought valiantly, they were blessed with white skin. So that is Joseph Smith's um, um, origins for different races. And you can see it's very racial from the beginning. And I'm going to, um, so people who don't believe me, I'm going to read some a couple of passages from Brigham Young declaring, declaring this very thing. This is from Brigham Young's addresses February 5th 1852 this is what he says he says the Lord told Cain that he should not receive the blessings of priesthood nor his seed and by that he's meaning black people he says I tell you that those people commonly called Negroes are the children of old Cain I know they are and I know that they cannot bear rule in the priesthood for the curses on them and is to remain upon them until the residue of the posterity of Michael and his wife receive these blessings he also goes on to say, he says, Suppose that it is right to mingle our seed with the black race of Cain. On that very day and hour that we do so, the priesthood is taken away from the church, and the kingdom of God leaves us to our own fate. The moment we consent to mingle with the seed of Cain, the church must go to destruction. We should never receive the curse of Cain, which has been placed upon the seed of Cain. So, right there, he's saying, The moment we, we mingle the African American people. That is the end of the Mormon Church. Then he finally closes with, therefore I will not consent for one moment to have any African dictate me or any brethren. Um, That was Brigham Young, 1852. Very, um, very racial, uh, racist. And obviously this was overturned in the the 70s by a new revelation, um, conveniently, to uh, black people. Obviously, they're, they're now allowed priesthood, but it was very racial to begin with. That's the origins uh, with black
0: people for them to begin with. What's also really interesting, going back even before we got into the race subject of things, is uh, the story of Lucifer uh, wanting everyone to become gods in the first place. Um, What's really interesting about that to me is that Mormonism is all about progression. Like, their whole faith is based on how you can progress. And... It seems like in the rules that uh, in Mormonism for the gods, you have to be a man who's exalted. So it wouldn't really make sense for S- Satan to be just force everyone to be a god at once because they have to be a man first living on a planet to eventually get their own planet one day.
1: Right. I didn't really get that much either in my research because you know, the purpose of the council was to determine our, their fate, our fate, and to come up with a plan. But then their plan was to do the same thing that everybody else was doing. So I was like, okay. Um, that right. didn't really make sense to me. Maybe if I maybe I got that wrong. If somebody who knows more about Mormonism can explain that to me. But that I was like, okay. So they just had a plan to do the same thing they've always been doing, which is to test their children? I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, What's funny, I was listening to James White talk about this. He's like, well, of course. Satan was the Calvinist in this story. <laughs> no <laughs> offense to Calvinists. We love Calvinists. It's just a joke. Um <laughs> Uh, well, James White is a Calvinist, that's why it's funny for him to say it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, c- with creation, according to Mormon thinking, the Father God of our present universe, Elohim, was not created out of nothing. He, so he had spirit parents, just like we do. The God who created the Father God did so out of eternal matter, which is, you know, full of intelligences. So essentially, what they're saying is, God's not, gods are not eternal, and God is not eternal, but matter is. So everyone who has ever lived. Um, we're just created out of matter. So, for Mormons, God is not like I said, God is not eternal. So, they use matter. So, um, after you know this whole revolt happened, Jesus essentially, with the help of his other spirit children, he gra- he used the matter to create heaven and earth and to create Adam and Eve. So, essentially, it was like just, you know grabbing pieces that were already there, like grabbing Legos and just constructing something. Unlike our God, who created everything out of nothing. The matter was there, and they just utilized the matter that was already in existence to create us. So that's another huge, huge difference with uh, our origins.
0: Once again, contradicting Colossians mm-hmm. and John 1, it, it's really not a powerful god, if you think about it. Like He cannot really even create. He can only uh, use matter kind of clump it together like Plato or clay or something like that he, right. he can't create matter because matter is more eternal than him
1: it's essentially what the power that not to say the power that we have but the power that we have on earth to create things we can only utilize what we have at the our materials. disposal yeah at. so it's essentially the same thing even though it's on a grander scale it's just the same thing just utilizing what we have the sources that we have our resources that we have to build something like so we, in
0: sense what's weird about it is the the matter that's eternal is more powerful than The God.
1: Um, So we we kind of discussed, you know, the differences with Elohim and and Jesus. What what really gets interesting even more is that they believe, or at least in the earlier teachings of the Mormon church, they taught that Jesus was married. Um, They taught that he had three wives, which was Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene. And we get this from, let me see if I can pull up the passage here. The first miracle of Jesus in John, the wedding. This is according to Orson Hyde. He's one of the early church fathers in the Journal of Discourses. Listen to this. He says, Jesus was the bridegroom at the marriage of Cana of Galilee, and he told them what to do. Now, there was actually a marriage, and if Jesus was not the bridegroom on that occasion, then please tell me who was. If any man can show me this and prove that it was not the Savior of the world, then I will acknowledge I am in an error. We say it was Jesus who was married to be brought into relation, whereby he could see his seed before he was crucified? <laughs> That's the first time I ever came upon this. So they believe that Jesus, the wedding that Jesus attended where he turned water into wine, was his own wedding. Like <laughs> what? And this is also what he uh, says, con- um, continuing in his journal of discourses. It will be borne in mind that once on a time there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and it will be careful reading of that translation. It will be discovered that no less than a person than Jesus Christ was married on that occasion. If he was never married, his intimacy with Mary and Martha and the other Mary, also whom Jesus loved, must have been highly unbecoming and improper, to say the best of it. Wow. Like uh <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. That's just it's um, out there.
0: It is very out there.
1: And one this is something that even shocked me even more is This is from Jedediah M. Grant, also in the Journal of Discourses. And I don't know if the Mormon Church holds this today, um, but this is their explanation for the crucifixion of Jesus. The grand reason of the burst of public sentiment and the anathemas upon Christ and his disciples causing his crucifixion was evidently based upon his polygamy, according to the testimony of the philosophers who rose in that age. A belief in the doctrine of a plurality of wives caused the persecution of Jesus and his followers. So their explanation for Christ's crucifixion and his followers was that they were polygamists. That's the reason Jesus was crucified. Not for our sins, but because he had more than one wife. And they didn't like it at the time. So that, that's why he was crucified. Like, what? Like, I, I know the Mormon church doesn't believe in polygamy today, but, and they, they try to hide that, that they ever taught such a thing. I mean, there are still fundamentalist Mormons, sex and cults who... The Mormons consider cults who still hold to polygamy, but we have the writings like right here. The, the this is what the early church fathers taught is that not only do you need to be a polygamist, but you need to be a polygamist to obtain godhood for the men. That that is one of the requirements to obtain the highest level of godhood. Otherwise, you'll be damned if you don't. If you're not a polygamist, or if you have the opportunity to be a polygamist and you don't,
0: according to them, you are damned. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I have a few quotes here on this subject. Uh, the first one is by Brigham Young and this will kind of just set the tone for the other quotes. And it says I have never yet preached a sermon and sent it out to the children of men that they may not call scripture. Journal of Discourses Volume 13, page 95, Brigham Young So right there anything Brigham Young taught or wrote is canon. It's mm-hmm. scripture. So in these other quotes it's you might as well take it as scripture. So the only only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Journal Discourses Um two sixty nine. And also uh Brigham Young said now if any of you will deny the plurality of wives and you c- continue to do so I promise you that you will be damned and I will go further and say take this revelation or any other revelation that the Lord has given and deny it in your feelings and I promise that you will be damned Brigham Young Journal Discourses page 266 Well,
1: wow. And not just um, Brigham Young but Joseph Smith who is also a polygamist which uh, LDS Church denies to this day um this is what Joseph Smith said about um, polygamy and we're just giving um, some multiple quotes here just just as ample evidence this is from Joseph Smith Journal of Discourses he says some people have supposed that the doctrine of plural marriage was a sort of superfluity or non-essential to the salvation or exaltation of mankind in other words some of the saints have said and believe that a man with one wife sealed to him by the authority of the priesthood for a time and eternity will receive exaltation I want here to enter my solemn protest against such an idea. And uh, right there he's, he's saying I, people who believe that they can obtain priesthood with one wife I, I protest such an idea that, need it, that basically you need to have more than one wife. Also in Joseph Smith Journal of Discourses, he, has, he says I understand the law of celestial marriage to mean that every man in this church who has the ability to obey and practice it in righteousness, that is plurality of wives, and will not shall be damned. And what's really interesting is uh, later on, Joseph Smith actually denied that he ever taught such a thing. So Joseph Smith even contradicts himself. This is what he says. He says, this is when they started getting flack for, you know, polygamy. He says, inasmuch as the church has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband except the case of death. So he just goes back, he rolls it back there, and contradicts himself.
0: Yeah, what's really interesting, too, about their whole polygamy thing is that when they started denying polygamy and, you know, their prophet had a vision or whatever, said, oh, we can't do this anymore, they stopped when basically the government was like, we're going to kill you if you keep practicing polygamy. I mean, the militias were already killing them and raping them and doing terrible things to them, but... The government literally said, we are going to wipe you out if you do not stop polygamy. And uh, amazingly, that's when they're like, got a vision. Oh, polygamy is wrong. Who knew? But that didn't stop a lot of them from still practicing it in secrecy.
1: Yeah. Joseph Smith, There's our accounts that Joseph Smith had up to 40 wives, 30 to 40 wives. And they, uh, the church denies that Joseph Smith was a polyamist. But I have here in front of me, it is from um, Andrew... Jensen. It's, a, it's Historical Records, Volume 6, and it is all the dates, at least, of 24 of his weddings with who he married and who officiated the wedding. So we have a couple examples here. Um, he married a, a gal by the name of Louisa Beeman, married on April 5th, 1841, officiated by Joseph B. Noble. He had married a gal by the name of Zena D. Huntington, and they were uh, sealed by Dimick B. Huntington, officiated the wedding. And his youngest wife, fourteen years old, was by the gal, was a gal by the name of Helen Mar Kimball, married on May eighteen forty three. So his youngest wife was fourteen years old. Joseph Smith he, he he conned these women into marrying him by essentially just promising or threatening uh, damnation. Um, our promises in heaven. Our promises in heaven. So, and continuing with uh, the story of uh, the history of the origins of the Mormon Church, or the Mormon theology, so, you know, Jesus was married, had multiple wives, he was crucified for his polygamy, and then he uh, rose again, and after his resurrection, they claimed that Jesus came to the Americas, where he, the purpose of him coming was to witness or preach the gospel to the Native Americans, who they believe to be dark-skinned Jews. Who migrated to America? So, in America at this time, there were there were two people or two groups of people who existed in America um, existed in the Americas, and they were the Nephites and the Lamanites. Now, the Nephites they were descendants of a man by the name of Nephi. He was uh, the son of a guy named uh, Lehi who left Jerusalem around 589 BC by the urging of God, and they they moved to the Americas. and They were righteous people, and they eventually fell into wickedness, where they were eventually destroyed by the Lamanites around 385 to 420 A.D. And uh, so um, this big battle that took place, uh, many LDS scholars kind of dispute where it took place. Most of them agree that it took place on the hill of Cumorah. That is where Joseph Smith found the, the golden tablets. And the last living Nephite who survived, he was Moroni. He's the man who appeared to Joseph. He wrote down the records of all that took place on golden tablets, and then he buried them in the hill of Camora. And then 1,400 years later, entered Joseph Smith, visions, and we already gave him all that history. And so as far as, okay, that, that's a very, very big claims. So if these two big kind of essential empires or people existed in the Americas, you, you'd think there'd be evidence um, of such people existing, like of these two be evidence of this big battle that took place there has been no archaeological evidence whatsoever that has been discovered to back up their claims. And the only thing that they have left is this hill Camorra, which the LDS Church um, owns, obviously and they, they will not let any archaeologist near that hill because that's, that's the only thing they have left. Because um, you think, you know, if this thing you know We'd find something there, right? There has to be you know, a shield or a spear or something left behind that they could find. But they won't let anybody come in and, and dig because I honestly believe that the elders are the people higher up in the church. They know their church is false. It's just a money-making game to them. But they, they protect it because this is essentially all they have left.
0: It's true. I mean, men don't want to give up power and money. And it's really sad that in a lot of organizations that's more important than people's souls. You know like i i would say that with christianity any archaeological finds that we could have go get him
1: yeah you
0: know you don't really see a lot of christians like no nope, we can't have you go there because that no we're like yeah get get this out this is amazing this is you know because the bible is just going to be proved true at the end
1: mm-hmm. it's like they got something to hide you know so that is kind of the origins of of the americas (laughs) native americans there's actually this this documentary that came around uh, around a decade and a half ago maybe it was called dna versus the book of mormon and they actually you know so they they believe that native americans and indians they are just dark-skinned jews so they, they got native americans they tested their dna no origins whatsoever tied to the jewish people so right right there is just dna evidence that that is false um I mean, DNA is is the highest form of evidence you can even have in a court of law, right? So it's not looking too good for the Mormon church up to this point. So getting up to, um, so we we uh, we went over there, you know, Elohim, Trinity, Jesus. Now, what do they believe about salvation? Now, we believe salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone. But salvation to the Mormon is an entirely different ballgame. And it's not really much of a, a, a heaven or a hell—that it's not like two options. Unlike, uh, you know, we believe that you know, you go to hell to be, if you, uh, if you, when you pay for your sins, or if you accept Christ's sacrifice for your sins, then you go to heaven. But to them, it, they don't really exactly believe in a hell per se. Like, it, um, for them, hell is more of an outer darkness—that's what they call it. And the only people that go to outer darkness are apostates. That is, people who've been baptized in the Mormon Church but then speak against it. But everybody else. Um, there's three levels of heaven that you basically go to. There's the celestial, telestial, and terrestrial kingdom. So essentially, everybody who's not a believer, they go to the first level of heaven, which is essentially a spirit prison. And then the second level of heaven is for the Mormons who weren't good enough. And that's the second level of heaven. And then the third level of heaven... It's the top level. And that's that's the that's the status you want to get to. That's the, that's the heaven where you become a god with your wives, where you can create planets. And so salvation isn't necessarily of being saved from something. It's just something to obtain as far as a status. Like yeah. I want first place.
0: Yeah, and progression, like progression. I was saying earlier. Yeah. Uh, I was talking with a Mormon uh, missionary uh, yesterday, actually. And they said, well... The lowest level of heaven is basically knowing that you didn't progr- progress. That that's like a hell in itself.
1: Yeah, he's like <laughs> to know that you could have made it someplace higher, but you didn't. But then you, then it's like, well, Joseph Smith said that you know he saw that he had a vision of the second level, and if anybody saw it, he would kill himself to get there, right? Didn't he say that?
0: Yeah, the second level, and that's exactly what he said. He said any man who would see this, he would kill himself to get there. Well, why is Joseph Smith you know still around after that?
1: Yeah. So it's not, you know, something. To be, God didn't save us from himself like we believe. He saved us from, gosh, I don't even know. He, uh, it's, I'm, I'm just going to read one of their passages, 2 Nephi 25:23 It says, For we labor diligently to write to you, our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it's by grace that you've been saved after all that we can do. So you can see they kind of stole a little bit of the passage by grace you've been saved, but then they added something after all you can do. So after everything that you can do, after all the, the, the sacraments and the the holy undergarments, well, I, I don't know anything in regards to that, and just all the other rituals and stuff that they have to, do, to wear and do, after you've done all that you can do, then God gives you the extra bit of grace to... It's not grace. It's not. It's not.
0: No, well... And that's completely contradictory to what Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. And when you bring them to these places, they usually like, well, you know, James says faith without works is dead. You're like, Yeah, but James wasn't referring to the works as a means for salvation. You know, in Galatians, when it says, if any man brings another gospel, let him be accursed. They were just adding one thing to their salvation, that was circumcision. Now, this is saying, after all you can do. So it's all the works you can do. Then you are saved. Then you'll reach Godhood. It's a f- completely false gospel. It's heretical. And it's damning. At the end of the day, that it, it is truly damning. And it's an impossible gospel. You know, in Alma, uh, the book of Alma, <clears throat> it says, You must cleanse yourself of all unrighteousness before you can even come to God. Mm. and so and then in second nephi it says um it's you're saved after all that you can do well how can anyone clean themselves of all unrighteousness to be able to do all that they can do because you can't cleanse yourself of your sins jesus has to so how can you even come to jesus in the first place you can't it's an impossible gospel and they're, they're wrapped up in this and it's really sad it is it is, and it's uh,
1: so. You know, you die, and then you know they believe that after after you're dead, you go to. I believe they believe everybody goes to the second heaven, um, because nobody nobody goes to the third or the top level until the resurrection. So essentially, everybody who's in the first level, um, the people from the second level, come down and witness to us because we're in spirit prison, and we basically have a second chance after death. And if we believe the gospel, then. Then we can eventually progress up to the second heaven, and but we can never progress to the third because the third is only um, if you made that decision from Earth. Um, so it's like okay, that's great. Like after I die, I at least get another chance to uh, get you to the second level. It's like okay, I don't believe now, but if I die and I'm in spirit prison, oh okay, I'll just believe then, and at least I got second level status, right?
0: Yeah, well, it, you know they believe in missionaries after we're dead, sending them, sending them to you in the third level yeah. to get you out of there. And some people will reject that, but I, it's, it's so ridiculous. Uh, who would reject that? You know, I, when you think about hell and the people are there now, right? Mm-hmm. Any one of those people, those lost souls, if they even had a chance to get out, they would do whatever they could to get out
1: they could yeah they would and joseph smith he uh, he claims to have done a greater work than christ he he claims to be sitting next to christ on the throne next to the father and then when we die at judgment day we get judged by christ or by god and by his son and by joseph smith and basically the final word comes down to smith on whether or not we get to enter heaven or not so a huge blasphemy Right there. We're not getting in because of this
0: podcast. (laughs) And
1: uh, this is what Joseph Smith had to say. This is from Joseph Smith, History of the Church, 1844. He says, I have more to boast than any man has ever had. I'm the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did. I boast that no man... Has ever did such a work as I? Like, well, wow. like you can. St- st- the pride is just seeping from his pen as you, I read that, and it's just, just totally contradictory your dog gospel because we are saved by grace, lest any man should boast. boast. How many times does he use the word boast in what I just read? He Uses it two, two, three times. <laughs> wow. And like right there is just enough to I think would be too enough to scare anybody away from this religion, but to the mormon jesus isn't their god joseph smith is he, he he is their ultimate authority which is um really sad because you know they do hold the bible as part of their scriptures but they only believe the bible is correct as far as it's translated correctly which yeah. is basically just means as long as it agrees with the book of mormon those passages are correct and all the passages that don't agree with the book of mormon those are mistranslated
0: yeah and in that you know, they, they say obviously the word's corrupted and all that stuff and that the true church fell away. Uh, it Really, it comes down to are you going to believe Jesus or Joseph? You know, So, uh, when Jesus was speaking to Peter, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he also, uh, in the Bible, it says the uh, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the God will stand forever. Joseph taught that the church had fell away, that uh, when he was in the garden, in his first vision, that all the teachers are corrupt, so all the pastors and everyone, and all the creeds are an abomination in his sight. So Joseph Smith taught that the church fell away. He completely contradicts Jesus there. And it comes down to: Are you going to believe Jesus or Joseph?
1: Because the Mormons, they take Smith's word for for everything. Like he is,
0: he's their foundation.
1: He is their foundation, not Christ. And um, we have so much more we want to get into, but I don't. We only have about maybe five, ten minutes left, so I think we're going to save the rest for um, a part two because um, we have actually some big revelations that are actually that was revelation to me. And I grew up in a town with like 95% Mormon. I thought I knew a lot about the Mormon church, but this this was completely revealing to me. And we'll get into that um, on our next podcast for part two. And we'll be getting into the evidences on the contrary for um, Mormonism, like actual evidence, um, manuscripts that have been brought up, things like that. And uh, a very big um, surprise that even surprised me. So we'll get into that on our next podcast. So we'll just kind of close with um, kind of how would you talk to a Mormon who comes to your door. Um, we don't have too many around here, but you know, a Mormon comes knocking on your door. You know, what, what do you, what do you do? What do you, what do you say? Because most of the time, I, I, I've been guilty of just like, hey, sorry, like I believe in Jesus too, because I don't feel like talking to them. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm a believer. Just get out of here. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. And so, how, how, if you want, how, when you want to engage, how do you, how do you engage?
0: Oh, it's on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, never go in trying to win a debate. Uh, I would say there's some fundamentals even before you get into scriptures and stuff like that. You need to do this in love. You're not trying to outwit them, win an argument. And honestly, don't bring up stupid things that don't matter. Like, yes, Mormons don't drink coffee. Who cares? I know plenty of people who don't drink coffee who are Christian. It doesn't matter. It's not a salvation issue. Um, don't bring up polygamy. Polygamy they don't practice it anymore. The only time I will ever bring up polygamy is when they talked about becoming a God one day. And I'll bring up the quote by Brigham Young says, if you deny the plurality of your wives, you will be damned and not become a God. It's the only time to ever bring up polygamy.
1: Right. Well, the only reason we brought it up in this podcast is because, you know, we're just giving like a history of the church and what they used to teach. So it's just, we're just the reason we brought that up is because we're showing that, how the church has changed and how it's just the foundation is just so messy.
0: Yeah. And also don't bring up their special undergarments. Yeah. It's not important. I mean, I'm sure some of you wear some Hey, what weird, are you wearing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some of you wear some weird underwear and you know, I don't want to talk about it. So, like what do you think they want to talk about it and don't start like throwing little jabs at them for that cuz they hold those things sacred.
1: Yeah. They do. Cuz they're nice. I mean, they're, they're just nice people. Yeah. they are they, they outdo us in evangelism they are so sincere but they're sincerely wrong yeah. and it's you know it can be difficult because you know they, they always come in pairs if you've noticed always come in pairs so it's like if one doesn't know something the other one's there to back them up so you gotta make sure you know your stuff as yes. well
0: you need to know your own faith before you can battle another faith you know and um we'll save we'll save some of this stuff for the next podcast. I'll give a little layout of their fundamental beliefs, and I'll give you scriptures kind of like I've been doing this whole time, you know, with their beliefs, but we'll kind of save it for the end as things you can just like write down and book bookmark um but then that yeah, if one comes to your door, I would say, if you don't have answers uh after you listen to this podcast, go listen to like Walter Martin. Are Jeff Durbin. Jeff Durbin has tons of videos of him evangelizing to Mormons. Mm. That's how I honestly. That's how I started learning about Mormons. I was I was working in a job where I could listen to music, and I, uh, Jeff Durbin popped up, evangelism to Mormons. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I got infatuated with it. I'm like, this is crazy, and I didn't realize I was learning all this stuff. I was just like, I really enjoyed it, so started listening to all his videos and his sermons on it. I'm like, and then next thing you know, I saw a Mormon. I'm like, it clicked. I'm like, I know, I know, like, what, how to evangelize to you. I, I know your beliefs. So yeah, if I would encourage you to go look that up, uh, just type in Jeff Durbin Mormon on YouTube. You'll find tons of resources. It's really good. And Cause he goes, he goes to the temple every year around Chris. Is it around Christmas time? I think he, he was in Lake City. He goes like twice a year, I believe, because he was already there once this year. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Shout out to Jeff Durbin, Apologies Studios. Shout out to Walter Martin, uh, Kingdom of the Colts. Pick up a copy. Listen to uh, Walter Under Fire on YouTube. It goes from atheists to oneness Pentecostals to Mormons, Jehovah's right. Witnesses, all that. Yeah, it's great resources.
1: And also, if anybody wants uh, any of the sources that we cited in this podcast, just email us at skepticspodcast at gmail dot com. We can send you photocopies or just copies of all the sources that we've read tonight, mm-hmm. because we know like a lot of the stuff that they represented, represented. Um, Mormons will deny that 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 talk. They they deny that they deny polygamy. They deny that Joseph Smith was a polygamist. They deny that Joseph Smith used seer stones to translate the Book of Mormon. Um, they deny that it, they would deny that the reason Christ was crucified was because he was a polygamist. Like all the stuff that we read, um, but th- these are what the early church fathers taught. So if you want um, sources that we that we um, used, just email us at skepticspodcast at com, and we can get you a copy or get you um, just the sources that we used.
0: Yeah, and also if anyone on here is LDS and they want to email us or if you live locally and want to meet up with us, we are more than willing to meet up with you, buy you lunch or something, and talk with you through these. Or if someone on here is listening is interested in how to witness to mormons we, we are more than willing to help you and help equip you and give you resources um you know this is this is a gospel mission and you know we want them to be our brothers you know we want to love on them we want to introduce them to the true and living christ not joseph smith's christ and with that i'll we'll say thank you guys for listening love you guys and until next time we are the skeptics
1: yeah, thank you. Take care.